Matthew chapter 20. Verse 20 to 22. And again, once more, Father, we just want to thank you. We take our times very seriously. We thank you for the privilege that we have to proclaim your word. We thank you for your people who are here. And we just thank you for your anointing upon their ears and upon their hearts. Help us, O oh God, to be everything you've already made us to be. And so, Lord, we'll receive you now in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? Now, if, 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 if God if you had an audience with God right now and God was to ask you, what do you wish? How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question? If God came to you now, Sister Barbara, Brother Thomas, it's good to see you guys. Welcome from your many journeys. <laughs> if God was to ask you and said, what do you wish? How would you answer? Is it a million dollars? Okay, maybe a million is too small. How about 10? How about 10 million bucks? Okay, how about a billion dollars? How about, how about a new house? A new car? Uh, talk to me. What do you wish? Ah, oh yes, my friend Emmanuel. If Jesus came to your house right now and said, Emmanuel, blank check, what do you wish? How would you answer that question? You know what I'm getting? You guys have not given this any thought? PJ, what would you, what would you want? Couple of billions. Okay. <laughs> any thought on that? What would you want? What's your wish? Perhaps the reason a lot of things are not happening, we are not wishing anything. Because I'm seeing all the hesitation on all of our faces. And the Bible simply says that the expectation of the righteous, another new married couple. What's going on today? My goodness, I want to go get married again. Can we get married, please? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. This must be the day of nearly words. Amen. And for those of you that are here today that's thinking about getting married, in Jesus' name, that grace is on you now. Amen. Receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. While you are receiving it, open your eyes so you can see. <laughs> Amen. And if you are hiding, come out so you can be seen. Amen. Amen. We're having fun in the Lord. Amen. Yeah. So the mother of the Zebedees came. What do you wish? 
she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. What a bold woman. When you read this account in Mark chapter 10, he did not say she came, it was the boys themselves that came. But the point I'm making this morning in this message that I'm entitling Circles of Intimacy. Circles of Intimacy. C-I-R-C-L-E-S. Circle. Circles of Intimacy. It blew me away that this mother, the mother of John and James, got an audience with Jesus and said, Jesus, I have something to ask of you. And Jesus says, what, say, what do you wish? Ask. You are right here now. You have my audience. You have my attention. What is it that you want? What do you wish? At least we need to give her some credit. She knew what she wanted. Many of us are still scratching our heads. We don't really know what we quite want. But what blew me away is not so much the fact that she wanted something, but what she wanted. She said to Jesus, grant me that these my two boys, perhaps I only have two, and I want some security for both of them. When you get into your kingdom, let one be on your left hand side and the other on the right hand. You see the rest of the ten disciples, just give them way, put them way back in the back of the room. Now, this request has implications. Number one, I was shocked at Jesus' response. Let's read it. Then I need to get into this message and move on. Verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm, I'm baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand or, and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. This is my shock. Jesus did not turn down the request. He did not say to them, this is not possible or I cannot answer this question. Rather, he said, are they going to be willing to pay the price for what they're asking? In other words, what they're asking is available. And really, where I'm going with this message this morning, these circles of intimacy, please understand, at this point, this John and James were already in the big three. There were many circles of relationships or intimacies around the Lord Jesus. And the challenge for you and I this morning is, I want to help you locate yourself. Where are you? 
Where are you? Jesus had the circle of the crowd. I'll define that in a minute. Then he had the circle of the 5,000. I'll define that in a minute. Then he had the circle of the 70 or 72, depending on what transition you are reading. Then he had also the circle of the 12. Then he had the circle of the three. And then finally, he had the circle of the one. So where am I? Where are you this morning? Are you in the one? In the three? In the 12? In the five, no, 70 or 72? The 5,000? Or are you still just in the crowd? The grace of God has appeared to all men, all men. God is looking for all men to come into a place of deep, intimate relationship with himself. We see this clearly in the scriptures. We just sang this song in Exodus 25 about the tabernacle where when God was bringing Israel out of Egypt, taking them to the promised land, he told them in Exodus 25, in verse 8, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Question, really? God, you want to dwell among these people? This is a God whom we are told is the God of all the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and they that dwell therein. This is the same God that says, if you seek me with all of your hearts, you will find me. Is God lost? No, he's not lost. This is the same God that says, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. This is the same God who in John 17, verse 3, defined for us, this is life eternal that you may get to know God and his son, Jesus, whom he has sent. So on and on and on, even though God is omnipresent, is everywhere all of the time, yet within God, there is a yearning, there is a desire that we just don't remain out there in the crowd spectating at him. There is a yearning in him that says, you know what? My grace has appeared to you to draw you in, go through the obstacles of overcoming the crowd, become a part of the 5,000, go through that, become a part of the 70, 70 people, of the 12, of the 3, but ultimately what is looking for is that intimate relationship with every one of us. Amen. You see, grace is unconditional. It makes the love of God unconditionally available to everybody. Grace opens the door of opportunity for every one of us to come to experience the love of God in a very real way. But it's going to take relentless 
pursuit to become intimate. It's going to take a relentless pursuit to become intimate with God. And that's this desire. So this morning, my goal is to help us to see all these different circles. Now, and there's nothing wrong in these circles. There's nothing wrong in any of them at all. At any given time, all of us go through all these circles, and in fact, we go through them and continue to go through them on and on and on again. So I want to make sure, I want to disabuse your mind. I don't want you to think that, oh, wow, if I'm in the crowd, that means God don't love me. No, 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 that's, that's, that's not the point at all. I'm just trying to show you the levels and the various faces and the various stages so you can locate yourself now and know where you're heading. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So the first circle that I want us to take a look at this morning is the circle of uh, the crowd. Now, before I do that, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Circles of intimacy. God is designed to be intimate with us. Circle of intimacy. Luke chapter 2. This is a very interest, interesting story here. In verse 42, Luke 2, 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, it was, now so it was after three days that they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Okay, we can just stop right there. So, this is the story. Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem to worship. And on the way back, three days of journeying back, they discovered it was missing. And they were troubled. Now, we can read that and read it so quickly and miss the point. How in the heck do you miss God for three days? and You don't know it. How could God, for lack of better words, be lost in your company and the parents travel for three days without knowing God was not there. Okay. How many days do you and I travel for before we recognize we lost the presence of God? Before we lose our peace. Before we lose our mind. Before we lose whatever it is. But the important point here is that I want to make is, even after they discovered he was missing, what they did to recover him was not to ask about him, but we are told they went to seek him. Oh, man. I, I don't think I'm making this point. 
The Bible talks about how Israel knew the acts of God. And Moses, what? Knew his ways. Until grace came to me, I thought that was great. But now I know that even Moses was one shot. Israel knew his acts. Moses knew his ways, but he did not know him. Now, I did not say he did not know him as, as if he was lost. No, that's not the point I'm making. See, there, there's a difference where God wants to take you and I. He does not want us just to be content about knowing his acts. He does not want us to be content about knowing his ways. He wants me and you, like Mary did, to seek him. It's not about what he said. It's not about his will, but about him. Huge. Huge difference. Huge difference. This one thing have I desired of the Lord. And that will I seek. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? That I may behold the beauty. He's not talking about, I want to be of the beauty. I want to smell his fragrance. I want to be close to him. I want to know him. To behold his beauty. The essence of his being. And then to inquire at his temple. You see, I can be inquiring at the temple and don't know him. And that's what's happening. People are taking away what they thought they heard about a person they don't know. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm available. I want you to have access to me. I want you to know me. I want you to have a relationship. This is the reason he came. To give you an access. And that is what's so interesting about what this mother is asking for. It's amazing to me that this mother, his children are beyond the crowd. They're beyond the 5,000. They're beyond the 70. They are beyond the 12. They are right now among the three. And yet she said, I want more. My God. I want more for them. Jesus, when you breathe, I want you to breathe on them. I want them to be a close proximity to you. Yes, I understand being number three, but please, I want them right next to you. And it's amazing to me, Jesus did not shut it down. He just simply asked, are you able to, able to pay the price? How many of you this morning will say, Lord Jesus, the crowd is fine. It has its benefits. The 5,000 is fine. It has its benefits. The 70, the 12, the 3, they're all fine. They have benefits. But if I have anything to do with it, I want to be right there in your face. If that's your desire this morning, I'm telling you, God wants to meet it. Because he says, for those that are hungry and thirsty after his righteousness, they shall be filled. Yes. Let's start with the crowd. The crowd. The crowd represents those who follow to the place of watching and listening. They're curious. And you must understand how Jesus sees them. This is very, very important. He does not see them in a demeaning way. 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, the Bible refers to them, Jesus' point of view of these crowds is that they are like sheep without shepherd. Now, think about this. Think about this grace of God. He's looking at these multitudes of people who obviously, on that day, there will be armed robbers there, there will be adulterers there, there will be fornicators there, there will be thieves, liars, all kinds of human beings right there among that multitude. And yet, what was his view of them? Sheep without a shepherd. He didn't call them goats. He didn't say they are wicked people. He didn't say they were lost. He said these are sheep. In other words, he was not defining them by their present condition. He looked beyond where they were and saw the potential that they, of what they can become. And I want you to know, I don't know where you are this morning in your walk with God. You may still be in the crowd, but I want you to know Jesus' view of you is you are a sheep. Hallelujah. And it's going to bring you to a pasture where you can be nourished and fed so that you can make progress and become what and who he has called you to be. He's not condemning you where you are. You may start out in the crowd, and really all of us started in the crowd. Every last one of us. We hear, we hear about a Jesus, a preacher, a, uh, some, something, and out of curiosity, we just sneak to the back door and say, well, let's, let's just see what's going on here. You, you just peep in a little bit. And before you know it, the hook of the Holy Ghost drops you in. Amen? There was a beautiful story of a man in the crowd. Beautiful story. In Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Verses 1 through 5. I guess I can go there and read it. So Jesus never condemns people where they are. You may be in the crowd this morning. You have all kinds of issues, things going, things going on in your life. You need to know that Jesus does not condemn you where you are. He sees you as a sheep. He sees you and labels you in your potential. Luke chapter, it's not chapter 17, that's for sure. Let's start chapter 7. All right. Unbelievable. It's not that either. Okay. I'm looking for the story of my friend Zach. Zacchaeus. Let me quote it for you. Let me quote it for you. Jesus was passing to Jericho. There was a great crowd following him. Zacchaeus hears the commotion that the crowd was making. His curiosity was aroused. Luke 19, but he had a limitation. Let's, let's, my uh, pundits here told me it's Luke 19. Thank you very much, ma'am. Amen. You get a dollar for that? Luke 19, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not. Because of the crowd. For it was of a short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to, see, to the place, 
he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. You see, the crowd will have been a deterrent to this man's life and salvation. But because of the moving of the Holy Spirit already in his life, he did not allow his short stature, nor the crowd, nor the fact that people didn't like him as a tax collector. There were so many things already against this man. But he did not allow that to deter him from trying to see Jesus. And the Bible says he knew that Jesus would pass by that way, which means he thought about this thing. And I'm saying this to you that's still in the crowd. Think about where you are and think about how you need to get closer and nearer and do something about it. He climbed a tree. He didn't try to go around the crowd or inside of the crowd. He climbed above of the crowd. Oh, and amazingly, Jesus having perceived of the effort that this short dude took, Jesus passed him by that way and zeroed in on him and said to him, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. Hallelujah. And to some of you here right now, Jesus is about to knock your house in today. He's on the way to your house today because your heart is ready and prepared for him. He leaves his house, comes to your house, takes over your house, and then takes, him, takes you to his house. The crowd is a place of watching and listening. This is a place where we make the least commitment. Amen? Amen? It's a good starting point, but you should never come there. Now to the 5,000. I need to move quickly. Now to the 5,000. So there's a circle of crowd. The 5,000, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Let me just break it down. The 5,000 represents for us those who follow Jesus to have a need met. Okay? Again, it is not wrong. It is not wrong at all. Many of us came to Jesus or are still coming to Jesus because we have a need. Maybe you need a healing, you need prosperity, uh, you need relationships mended. Whatever those needs are, that is fine. And Jesus welcomes that. But when you read this passage in John chapter 6, the multitudes were there. They were hungry. Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves and fed them. Amazingly. And a few verses in the same chapter. They, let me read it so I can make the point very well. Please, let me read it. So, in chapter 6, in verse 11, and Jesus, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish and as much as they wanted. So they so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. So we see that he multiplied, fed them, and they were truly fed. In other words, their needs were met. Is that correct? Now look at verse 22. Verse 22. On the following day, 
when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that the one which the disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away. Let me get to the point. Da, 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 da. Okay, verse 25. Let me just come to the point. And when they have found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I said to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves on our field. Now, what's happening here? Remember, they came to him because of needs, the group of 5,000. He met those needs. But the message Jesus is conveying here, as you read, is that we should not labor, verse 27, for the food which perishes, but for the food which can endure to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Can I ask you any question here? How many of you ate last month? All of us. You ate last week? All of us. You ate yesterday? Maybe all of us. You eat again tomorrow and the next tomorrow. So the message Jesus is conveying to the 5,000 is this. You have needs today. I meet those needs. But you must recognize that what I am in your life is beyond meeting your needs. I am here not only to meet your needs, and I will do that, but the meeting of your needs, should it's done to encourage you to another kind of lifestyle. The meeting of needs should encourage you to come to me, not, who can not only not meet your needs, but also meet your need for eternal life. The bread I gave you yesterday perishes, but the bread that I can give you will keep you onto everlasting life. So in the group of 5,000, these are the groupies going from seminar to seminar to conference, touring the United States, touring all of, all of the world, looking for men of God, prayer PLC, they will sow a seed so they can get this and get and that, not recognizing that yes, while that is important, God wants to take me and you beyond just living on having needs met. God wants you to become a contractor who produces solutions yourself, not looking for needs to be met. Huge. So he feeds them and in a few days they were hungry again. They came back. I said, oh, I know where you're here. You want more bread. You want more bread. But this time, instead of giving you more bread, take my flesh. Drink my blood. They said, this is ridiculous. How can anybody eat your flesh? He said, well, see, that's the point I'm making. What I'm saying to you don't sound right. But if you believe what I'm saying to you, you will never need another bread. So what I'm saying to all of us is, in a 5,000 category, God wants to meet our needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. But he also wants to give you the solution to go beyond that in your life. He's going to say some things to you that are hard sayings, just like he did to these guys. He told them, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. It is in my flesh and my blood that you really, truly have your needs met. So you don't have to keep on looking for me when you need to pay your rent, when you need to uh, uh, pay for your tuition, or whatever your needs are. Because if you get the package, you get all of the benefits that come along with it. So the 5,000 group is a needy group. Every week, they have a need. Every week. That is not bad. As long as you don't come there. 
The issue here is you cannot come there. In a crowd, they don't make commitments. They're watching and listening. However, Jesus understands that if he's going to get anything done in life, he has to get them out of the crowd. So the crowd is useful. They produce the ingredients or raw materials for what he's going to use later. 5,000 group, they are needy. They have needs. He meets the needs short term, but he wants you to know there's more for you. There's more for you. Remember John chapter 4? He was hungry. His disciples went and fetched food for him. They brought the food. When they brought the food, he was no longer hungry. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. And they were shocked. When we went out, we were, he was hungry. We came back and brought food. He's no longer hungry. What happened? Doing the will of the Father met that need in his life. Met that in his life. So me and you should not live on, a, on having a need every week. We have needs sometimes and God meets them. But we need to recognize he wants to bring us out of that circle into a closer circle to himself where those needs meet themselves. Where my story dissolves in a bigger story. Are you following what I'm saying? So the first circle is the crowd. No commitment. The next circle is the 5,000. They have come a little closer. They've heard of Jesus meeting needs and their needs are met. And now the next one, the circle of 70. Who are these guys? Who are these guys? The circle of 70. These are those that Jesus is called to share in his ministry. Those who have left the circle of observation and entered into the ring of participation. These are those who follow Jesus to the place of working or serving. Amen? If you remember in Luke chapter 10 in verse 1, let me just read that quickly. Luke 10, 1. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to come to go. Amen? So these are people that participate in ministry. They are workers. You go from the crowd into have your needs met in 5,000 and now in the 70 level now, you're working. You're serving Jesus in the ministry. Now, in Luke chapter 10, in verse 17, look at what happened. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. Now look at verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. See, there's a tendency for those in the 70 group to think that because we are serving, and we should serve. Talking about because we are doing ministry and things are happening. And we should do that. But there's a tendency that we may get carried away with the results and the accomplishments of our work and service and ministry. And we forget to make the main things the main thing. 
We are excited and giving testimonies about how certain uh, saw this demon fly, oh, this one manifest, this one, this one. We are writing books and we are on TBN sharing all these incredible testimonies about demons. And all of a sudden, we get into demon glorifying ministry. So Jesus said, listen, I know what you're saying about Satan. I saw him fall like lightning. I'm not impressed with that. What impresses me is when you are doing what you are doing, you, the impression is that your name, your name is found written in the book. Make the main thing the main thing. Amen? This is huge. Because before Jesus called them in Mark chapter 3, it's instruction to them. In verse 14, I think it was. He called those disciples and said to them that they should be with him before they can preach for him. So he's in the least bit impressed with Bank Akimala ministry preaching. You guys didn't hear what I said? No, you didn't hear. Let me, let me make sure I make it plain. God is not impressed because I preach or you preach or anybody preaches. Heck no. That's not what impresses him. Jesus was baptized. Heavens opened. He has not preached one message. And the Bible said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Sir, how many sermons has he preached? Zero. How many miracles has he done? None. So how could a father be impressed with a boy that has not preached or done any miracles? Because we are placing priorities on the wrong things. He's not impressed. Not with me, not with anybody else, because of what we do. If he's ever impressed, he's going to be impressed because I've come to understand how much he loves me. Oh, hallelujah. Now you are talking. And his love for me has nothing to do with whether I preach or not preach. He loves me because he made me. He loves me because he created me. He loves me because he has proposed something for me from eternity past. He loves me because I'm the apple of his eye. He loves me because I'm accepted in the beloved. He loved me with an everlasting love. He loved me unconditionally. He loves me forever. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And he's not asking your opinion about it. So I do not find my significance on what I do. No way. I enjoy it. I thank God for the privilege. But that is not my significance. My significance is in the confidence of knowing that Jehovah, that God of the universe, my Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Glory be to God. I'm so confident of that. If I'm the only one alive, he loves me. If I'm the only one alive, he will bless me. If I'm the only one... Oh, I want to shout. Glory to God. Fuck, I don't know about you guys. This is real. Every time I talk about this love, I get drunk. And I'm not talking about scotch or whiskey. I'm highly intoxicated. Glory to God. By the spirit of God. Because I understand what love does. You will see it in a minute. Now you understand what that woman says. Listen, put my sons up there. Because in the 70 group, it's still about work. Because in the book of Luke, Martha and Mary in the house. Mm. Jesus visiting the house. Hallelujah. Mm. 
Martha was about ministry, doing work, great thing, essential, needs to be done. And I had the audacity to complain. Jesus, would you ask Mary, my sister, to help me? Don't you see what is... Abba, don't you see we need help here? Jesus said, Martha, Martha, that had worried about too many things. Children! Mary has chosen the needful thing. She's sitting right at my feet. Glory to God. Because every anointing and unction that comes from me wrapped up rubbing off of her. And that's what she needs. Are you saying we should not work for God? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you're going to work for him, you better be with him before you work for him. Because working for him and not being with him, you're wasting your, you're shouting. You're a noisemaker. You will never change the world. Never. never. What changes the world is the fact that you carry the presence of God. Amen. Because you've been with him. Amen. And therefore when you speak for him, he backs up what you are saying. Amen. Otherwise, you are just making noise. Yes, sir. And there are a lot of noise makers yes, in our generation. Yes, the circle of the crowd, the circle of 5,000, the circle of 70 or 72. And now we come to the 12. The common ones that most of us know about. The 12. That's a circle. That's a, what is this? Oh, okay. Praise God. All right. Just want to make sure. The 12. These are those who follow Christ to the place of living all and following him. Let me make it plain. This is a place of living your own wishes and selfish desires and enter into a new place of surrender. You know, I've always wondered when you read the scriptures where Jesus went and called this man. You are told that they are the Sea of Galilee fishing and he simply says, come, follow me. And the Bible says, immediately. They dropped their nets and followed him. Ah. I mean, the things always bother. I mean, how, how did that? I mean, how does that happen in modern day time? I've been calling many people from here for years. I said, "You need to go and do this." They're just looking at me. They not they not moved yet. <laughs> Elijah went to Elisha, put his mantle on the guy. The guy knew immediately what it meant. Went and destroyed his oxen business and followed immediately. Why? Because by the unction of the spirit, this man understood total, complete relinquishing their rights, their desires at the expense and the trust of the one that they're following. Amen. You try it. And I'm saying that in a nice way. I'm serious. If you ever want to know the depths and the riches of how great God is, you will never do it by reading until you try it. I'm telling you the truth. Kai, I remember the day just like yesterday when I gave my resignation at Eastern Airlines. Walked into that office. Dropped the letter on the desk. I'm gone. The guy read it. Called me back. Bank. 
Do you know what you just wrote? Yeah, I wrote it. I know what I wrote. <laughs> you are almost a year to be vested for retirement. True. But in God's dealing with me, he didn't tell me I have one year. All the human reasons that made sense for which I should have remained another year. But I thank God for his grace that I did not allow human voice and reasoning to take my eye off the mark. And let me tell you this. It was not because God promised me something greater. You need to understand this. Because some of us, we make exchange. God, if you're going to call me out of this, what is the guarantee for this? I asked that question. And the answer God gave me, I never knew there was that scripture until he answered me. I can tell you where I was when the answer came. I was on my way driving on 85 to pick up Pastor Tunde Bakari at the airport. And the scripture was, better is a little with the fear of God than much treasures with trouble therewith. I did not know such a scripture existed. I was catching my head on the way to the airport. What? So I can pack quickly and find the scripture. Better is a little with the fear of God than much treasures would trouble therewith. Thank you for that consolation, God. That was a good encouragement. Here am I asking God, if I quit this job, what are you going to do for me? That was the answer he gave. He did not tell me, if you resign, I'm going to do this, I'm going to buy you ten houses. No, none of that at all. You see, all these prophecies that you are buying, You give the man $10 because you call it a $50 line, a $1,000 line, and I tell you, ah, Greg, I see you are a bald man. You wear glasses. You wear a jacket. And you think you're going to change the world with that kind of prophecy? That came from the mind of mine, not the heart of God? So I left. Went straight into the ministry with no guarantee of anything. Ah! But I can tell you, when I read about God's faithfulness, no, it's not because I read it. It's because I know it. Amen. God promised David. He said, the righteous can never be saved for a second. Oh, for let me say it for you. I was once young because I was younger then. Now I'm young still. <laughs> but he has never seen the righteous for a second. No, their seed beg. You see, you read that, it doesn't make any sense to you if you've not been there. If you've not surrendered something, that cannot make any sense. But I'm talking 30 years later. God has not failed to pay one bill in 30 years. Are you telling me what God cannot do? Left! And I know I need to get back in the message. But this is important you hear this. Because my boss was trying to get me there for another year so I can be vested for retirement. It made sense. But God knew better. Amen. Because in that one year span, Eastern Airlines went belly up. If I had remained, I would have left looking for an alternative lifestyle rather than looking for a choice. I made a choice and left. I didn't leave because the company was out of business. 
And in that one year, I'm flying back and forth, and I'm seeing my co-workers, they're carrying placards, they demonstrate at the airport. They demonstrate. They say, Bank, where are you going? What are you doing? I say, oh, I'm serving God. I'm, I praise God. Are you going to fly? Yes, I'm flying. You got keep, on carrying your, keep on carrying your signs. The 12. Jesus, come away. What is God saying to you right now? Because God will not give us this message unless he's speaking to someone. Someone right now, under the sound of my voice, you are at this level. You're level 12. And you're struggling. You are battling with God. You are trying to say, God, negotiate. Uh, I'll give you this video. No, no, God is, he doesn't do that. It's a winner takes all preposition. You give it all up, you get it all back. But it's not going to be a time and date when you will get it. All I can tell you is, his proven track record is incredible. Wall Street may fail. Martin Avenue may fail. Oh my God. But I want to tell you about the Jehovah who calls himself El Shaddai. The God of all sufficiency. He has never failed. He will never fail. He knows no failure. He knows the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Oh, the first and the last. Hallelujah. He never fails. Trust him, my friends. He never fails. He never fails. With God, all things are possible to them that believe. I'm not reading this in a book. I've lived through it. And that's what the 12 found out. They give it all up. So the 12 is the place where your trust is further challenged. And it's not always about giving up to go into the ministry. No. You could be in a business where God is trying to change your direction. And you're hanging in there and say, ah, hey, this business, we've had in our family for the last 19, 19 years. It's made us net income every year. And one or two thousand. Hey, how can I give this up? See, your, your problem is you don't know what's on the other side. You are afraid to give up one two two thousand, one or two thousand, and God has five hundred thousand lining up waiting for you. You've got to trust Him. You've got to trust Him. Without faith, it's absolutely impossible to please God. I tell my wife, when it comes to that, if before this message finishes, God says pack your bag and go to Thailand or go to somewhere, I'm gone. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Listen, I ha- I've been in here enough to know that certain things, now I don't know a lot of things. Let me give you that. But there are certain things I know. <laughs> and on those things I know, there's no negotiation. Now, because he's done it time and time and time. So right now where you are, give it up. Surrender to God where you are. I said, God, you got it. You got it. God did not bring us this word just so we can get happy. And we should be happy. But I know he's speaking to somebody. Make the commitment. Cast your cares upon him. 
And after many days, you're going to find it back. It's trustworthy. So you have the circle of the crowd, you have the circle of the 5,000, you have the circle of the 70 or 72, you have the circle of the 12, and now we have the circle of the 3. We're getting closer now. The 3 are those who follow Jesus to the place of glory. And he entrusted them with insights and experiences the rest of the twelve were apparently unprepared to hear or know. Let me say that again. These are those who follow Jesus to the place of glory. And these are those to whom Jesus entrusted with insights and experiences that the rest of the twelve were apparently unprepared to hear or to know. How do I know that? Matthew chapter 17. And this was where John and James were. Matthew chapter 17 verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. You see this? Exclusivity. Wow. And this was an exclusive experience. And when you read the whole story, when it was all over, you told them, don't tell anybody. Can you imagine that? Your boss takes you out, takes you out to lunch and says, don't let anybody else know. Exclusivity. Exclusive. You do things with your friends, people you trust, that nobody else knows about. Exclusivity. He takes them on high mountain. Allow them to see something that was not common. How would you want to see things in Jesus, about Jesus, that's not common? Uncommon revelation. You open your mouth at the, in the boardroom, in the office, and you say, wow, where did you get that from? <laughs> yeah, I, I was just spending time. Who are you spending time with? Oh, Jesus. Woo. That's uncommon. Uncommon revelation. Uncommon experience. Uncommon insight. It is available right now. That's what grace made available for you and I. But we have to let him know we want it. We have to press. We have to be relentless in our pursuit. When I got born again, my pastor will tell you, he will tell you I was not an ideal uh, uh, believer. Because I had no sense that when I'm reading the Bible at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm working midnight shift on my break time. If I have a question, I'm calling him up. <laughs> Nobody told me I couldn't do it. And each time I call, he answered. I said, we're good. Answer this question, Pastor. And 15 minutes later, here I am again. I found, Pastor, what does this mean? Why? I was hungry. And my hunger determined my behavior. All these folks that I'm seeing, I'm not, I'm not talking about just you guys here, they're talking about the hungry for God. You're not hungry for God. When you see a hungry man or a hungry woman, they, 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 they are not normal. Oh, let me tell you a story. She, she knows what I'm going to say. When we first got born again, we were in the church. And I'm driving, this, this passion for Jesus was so high on me. I saw a man, homeless man on the street, stop my car. And uh, I said, hey, can I help you? He said, yes, I'm hungry. I said, get in. 
Now, see, that was my first encounter with a person like that. I told him to get in. I rolled my window back up. There, God in heaven, I needed oxygen immediately. <laughs> I couldn't breathe. I said, There, God in heaven. I didn't want to come to heaven now. I just want to help a fellow. So, and then I'm driving. We got to KFC. I bought a chicken. And I said, Well, let me take you to a hotel where you can uh, clean up, take a shower, and then you can sit down and eat. He said, Okay. We are driving. He said, okay. He grabbed the bag. He stri- Before we got to the hotel, was, all the chicken and bones were all gone. <laughs> What's the point I was working? You see, my understanding of hunger is totally different from, from his understanding. He was so hungry, he had no room for decorum or trying to be nice and polite. I'm thinking the person that's hungry, we go sit down, take a shower and eat. No, he was too hungry for that. Why will he be looking at chicken and smelling the chicken and jumping for three miles? <laughs> what am I saying to us? Mm. When you're really hungry, uh. Uh, you won't stroll to any spiritual place five minutes later. Mm. When the hunger of God grips you and they say there's a prayer meeting at 10 a.m., you'll be there at 9.45. You are warming up in your heart. Oh my God, I hope they show up today. Oh God, I'm waiting for you. That's what hunger does. We're too casual with our hunger. Like the homeless man that was hungry, he did not wait to, get it, to take a shower. He was too hungry to look clean and nice. He wanted to eat. And what I'm saying to us is, God sees the hunger of your heart. You can tell me with your lips that you are hungry for God. But God said, show me your hunger. Because when you show him the hunger, the fire of his spirit will meet that hunger and there will be an explosion. Folks, we're not hungry. We're not hungry at all. We're too comfortable. We're too comfortable. Last, but not the least in this circle. Now, don't forget, this was where John and James were already when the mother placed that demand on Jesus. They were already in a circle of three. They were already in a circle of three. So the question is, okay, what else do you want? Jesus wants an experience. He takes you guys already. What is it you guys want? But she wants more. And John wants more. Now, the circle of the one. From John chapter 13, I'm not going to read all of this. To John 21 verse 20. Five times. John, the beloved apostle called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. How can he say that? What happened? What transacted between them for for, for him to confidently tell us this five times? I had to go back and write us epistles. First John, second John, third John. 
And in those epistles, everybody calls it the epistle of love. So something happened in his interaction with this savior that took a man whom was nicknamed the son of thunder. That was his disposition. His natural default was thunder. If something happened, let's kill it. If something was out of place, let's destroy it. That was who he was. He was the son of thunder. He had no patience. He had no tolerance. Ah. But as he pressed on to know his savior and the tenderness of the love of God began to come upon him. Every thunder in him. Every intolerance in him. Every wall he had built up. He didn't like the Samaritans. And anybody that didn't look like them were not acceptable in his circle. But the more he watched this man, and the more he talked to this man, and the more he watched this man's face, and the more he saw this man's actions, something was happening to John. It's no wonder. Paul says that when we behold him, we are being changed from glory unto glory. That is what Jesus has in store for you and I. He's saying to me, if you come to me, if you come and spend some time with me, if you come and interact with me, if you come and come to that deep place of intimacy, I will be naked before you. You will see everything about me that needs knowing. And in that experience, you'll be empowered and changed for life. No wonder this man John wrote more about Jesus' life than any of the other evangelists. Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. John wrote more about Jesus' person than anybody else. No wonder in John 13, I'm almost done. At the last supper, if you read in verse 23, they said this man leaned upon Jesus' bosom. Please come here. Please come here. Please come here. In fact, let's, let's go to the podium. Because this, this is too much for me. They become so tight. They were eating. I just, I just sit that on him. Can you imagine that? And the other twelve were there. This was not a private dinner. This was the dinner for all of the disciples. What does he care? He just said, this is my, hey, I'm the one he loves. <laughs> Watch this. Don't go yet. So much so, when the question arose, when Jesus was openly disturbed, that one of you guys would betray me. Did you know none of them could ask Jesus? Peter, the bold one, could not dare ask. Peter, Peter he pinched John. John, you, you know he will tell you. Ask him. <laughs> you know, I, I can't ask him. But Peter, John, John, ask, find out. Find, who, who is it? Who's going to do it? That's what happened. Which means even among them, thank you, which means even among them, they realized how close John was to him. And 
they didn't there ask certain questions, they had to go through John to get to him. Wouldn't you like to be the one that people go through to get to Jesus? Because they know you have the awesome privilege that if you ask, he will tell you. What he will not say in open, he will say to you. Why? You've paid the price to earn his trust. That's what's available, you all. All this Ebola crisis, uh, Syria, Ukraine, all this stuff. Listen, if there are somebody who is right there with Jesus, all you have to pick up the phone and say, Barak, don't sweat it. Go and dye your hair. You'll be all right. One word from the Lord can change everything. Amen. Amen. But if all of us are with the crowd, where it's so noisy, nobody can hear from God, how can the guy get direction? Uh, how is it going to happen? Not only that, I'm almost done. This blew me away. In John 19, verse 25, when Jesus went to the cross, all the disciples scattered. Except who? John. When everything else falls, love stands. When everything else fails, love is still standing. Because he was not afraid. Why is he not afraid? Because perfect love casts out all fear. He was standing. And now you are Jesus now. You are about to have, if you will, your insurance policy to make sure your mother, your other mother is taken care of. Who are you going to commit your mother to? Peter? Matthew? Luke? The Bible says he looks from the cross and sees him from the cross. I said, son, behold your mother. And handed the care of his mother over to John. Oh my God, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. Because the implication there is Whatever you will need to take care of mama, whatever resources you will need, whether she needs a new house, a new horse, whatever she needs, since I've cast her care upon you, John, you trust me now. I will never leave you with something I can deal with. All the provision, all the provision you will ever need is in that instruction. And with your obedience, is done. Now, we don't have to take care of Jesus' mother today. Thank God for that. But you can still take care of his business. Yes. In that same way, he's committing to you and I the care of his business enterprise. Winning lost souls. And in the same fashion that he will take care of John to make it happen, don't you think if he gave me and you his business, he will also ensure it gets done, whatever you need, whether it's talent, Treasure, training, equipping. Jesus has it all. Amen. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Two more things and I'm done. Ah, let's go and read this one. John 20. John 20. I'm done. John chapter 20. 
<laughs> Let me read verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Okay, so let's just jump to save time here. Uh, verse 6. Ah, no, no, no. This verse 4 is very good. Look at verse 4. <laughs> verse 3. Peter therefore went out. Listen to this. And the other disciple. And were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And the other disciple, Artram Peter, and came to the tomb first. Who's the other disciple? John. Can you imagine that? The passion in this guy was done. Verse 5. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and a handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Verse 8 is the key I'm looking for. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For Peter, he saw it, but he made no commitment. Did you say that? He did not comment one way or the other. He was not quite sure. What am I seeing? What's happening? John didn't have to think about it. John did not have to think about it. He saw it immediately, he believed. Why is that? See, that close intimacy with him. He's already imbibed everything. Not only that, he was the only one that told us about the resurrection of Lazarus. Matthew didn't talk about it. Mark didn't talk about it. Looked into it. So for him, he has, saw, he has seen the resurrection before it actually took place. That had prepared him in his experience to know what the master was going to do. And the last of all of this, in John 14, 21, Jesus said, He that loves me, keep my commandments. And I will love him. The Father will love him. And I will manifest or reveal myself to him. That promise is available to you and I today. But for John in particular, is it not amazing then that he was the one that was allowed to write the glorious, the most glorious reign of Jesus in the book of Revelation? Yes. Where was Peter when he was writing that? Or Paul, or the other ones, great as they are. We're not diminishing them. They were all very great. But I'm just making a point about how relationship and intimacy hands you certain perks that nothing else can get. Are you going to move closer today? Are you going to leave the crowd? Are you going to leave 5,000? The 70? The 12 and the 3? Are you going to press in to be that one? Because that was, that's what the grace of God is making available to us now. We don't have to settle for second-hand information. We can get it first-hand from the master himself. That's his desire. Father, we pray the power of your spirit of every man and woman right now under the sound of my voice. God, that this grace that you've 
revealed to all mankind. It will not just come upon us to make us just happy and just meet a few needs here and there. But that the greatest joy any one of us can know is to come to know you experientially, intimately. And so, Father God, I pray for that relentless pursuit that Paul talked about when he said that he counted all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Lord, begin in us now. Let us begin to make progress from various circles. Coming through the crowd, through the 5,000, through the 70, through the 12, and the 3. Help us to press on in our experience. And Lord, I pray for that particular man and woman right now that's struggling with a decision. Lord Jesus, you know who they are. They are struggling right now to giving up, to relinquishing and surrendering to you, to trusting you. They believe, but they, they are asking for you to help their unbelief. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, we destroy the power of every unbelief that's holding them back, that's pulling them back, that's nudging them back right now in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for a release. A release. A release that will bring them to a new place, a new experience, a new dimension of knowing you. And God, in weeks to come, we will hear the testimony of your goodness concerning them. Thank you, Father. We are blessed and honor you in Jesus' name.